0: Out your Bibles for the reading of God's Word, which I am not, Dan. (laughs) So I'm into Uh, the worship this morning. I've got nothing (laughs) else, nothing else lined up here. Just say I'm just the worship guy. I just yeah. We got the worship Um, guy, two worship guys up here. Here we go. uh, But if you would, do turn in your Bibles to Romans 12. Uh, verses 1 and 2. That's where we will be this morning. And um, if you would, just as a, as a, as a way to, if, if, there are, if there are gaps, please do move in. There are still some people that have been coming in, and so uh, we want to make sure that everybody has a spot. Um, also, you will notice that I probably won't move around a lot this morning. I was washing my hair this morning and all of a sudden had like a weird dizzy spell. So I am um, uh, think I'm doing okay, but I'm still feeling a little bit so I probably will be pretty stationary here behind the pulpit. Um, But we are, yes, in the book of Romans, verses 12, uh, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So Romans 12 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not Be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning knowing that you always want to speak to us through your word, that you always want to use it to renew us, and to transform us. And we are asking this morning that you will do that in a big way, that there is something that you want to communicate, a message through the beginning of Romans 12 that you want to use to just draw your people near to you, to draw us to a place where we are loving and cherishing and giving our lives fully over to you in such a way that you will be magnified and made much of. And so would you just work that in us this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I want to ask you guys: How many of you have ever have ever heard the name Jimmy Volvano? Has anybody ever heard that name before? A few of you. Not not bad. Not bad. Uh, well, if you haven't, let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Jimmy was the middle child of Rocco and Angelina Valvano. He was born in Corona, Queens, in New York, and he was a three, uh, three sport athlete at Seaford High School in Long Island until he graduated in 1963. He went on to play point guard at Rutgers University from 1964 to 1907. And when he graduated, he began a long and decorated coaching career that spanned 19 years, culminated in multiple ACC basketball championships, multiple deep runs into the NCAA tournament, and one unlikely yet historic. NCAA championship in 1983. And then he even went on for a couple of years, if you are an ESPN watcher, uh, to be an ESPN uh, newscaster. But these accomplishments aren't what people necessarily remember about Jimmy Valvano. What most people remember is what happened to him in 1992 and in 1993. In 92, Jimmy Valvano was diagnosed with a terminal form of metastatic cancer. And in that moment, the trajectory of his life was changed forever. No longer was his life about sports, but in an instant, it became about beating cancer and advocating for cancer research with every breath and dollar he had. Now, sadly, Jimmy Valvano, a.k.a. Jimmy V, lost his battle with cancer on April 23, 1993. But in the midst of his fight, he established something called the the Jimmy V or V Foundation, if you've ever heard of that. And the V Foundation to date has raised over $290 million for cancer research. And now I'm not telling you this story so you gain an admiration for Jimmy V, though obviously he walked through something hard and, and established something that has been good for cancer research. Instead, I'm telling you this to connect it to the main overarching truth of the book of Romans. That if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we too have had the trajectory of our lives radically changed forever. But instead of being changed by cancer, though cancer obviously does change lives, we've been forever changed by the power of God through the gospel of his son Jesus Christ. And this change is so clear. When we look back at Romans and all that that Paul has said in the first 11 chapters, we see it. He tells us in Romans 2 that God is a righteous judge who will rightly judge sin and evil. And then in Romans 3.10 and 23 that no one is good or righteous and that everyone has fallen short of God's standard of perfection. And as a result, in Romans 6.23, we learn that we deserve for our sins or falling short of that perfect standard, God's judgment and death that forever separation from God and hell. And yet there's good news. In the last part of Romans 6, 23, Paul tells us that, that, that Jesus gave us a free gift. And that free gift is an eternal and forever life with God. And this life was bought for us when according to Romans 5, 8, and 9, Jesus died so that we could be made right with God through his shed blood. And then in Romans 10, 9, We learn that if we put our full trust and hope in Christ, we not only will attain this eternal life, but Romans 6.22 says that we will be set free from the enslaving power of evil, sin, and death. That's good news. We need that good news all the time. But Paul's goal isn't merely to tell us what Christ has done for us, he hasn't meticulously laid out the gospel for 11 chapters only to say, God's great, isn't he? Look what God's done for you. Be amazed. Though we should be amazed. No, he has laid it out because he wants us to be so overwhelmed by the greatness and the goodness and the mercy of God as it, as it has been revealed in and through Christ that we will see Paul's words to us this morning and in the rest of, Rome, in the, rest of the book of Romans, as the only reasonable way to respond to such a great gift. And so let's begin this morning by looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2, where in verse 1, Paul is going to call us to a wholehearted and all-consuming response to God's mercy given to us in Christ. And then in verse 2, we are going to begin to see just the beginnings of this roadmap for how we're supposed to live it out. And so if you're there, we're going to look at our first point this morning, which is this that our response to Christ and his work should be a wholehearted surrender. As it says in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as, living sac- as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So now Paul, in this book, he be, in this particular chapter, he begins by making an appeal to the Roman church. And in this context, the word appeal basically is a strong call to action. But the neat thing is that this call, this call to action, he doesn't call them to it by telling them that it's their duty to obey God or by being a heavy-handed apostle and, and calling them to obedience through fear and judgment. Instead, he calls them to action by saying this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And in those seven words, he is once again communicating the glorious reality of what, is God, what God has done for them, and he's reminding them of who they are. And those words, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, is Paul's way to sort of sum up Christ's work for them on their behalf. And it's a reminder to them that they're recipients of God's perfect and unending mercy. And then in between that, he also calls them brothers, which reminds them of what God's mercy has done for them. It has made them a part of God's family, which is why Paul can call them brothers in the first place. And if we put all of that together, we could rewrite verse 1 and say it this way. Because of God's unending mercy, which I told you all about and now belongs to you as God's children, I'm calling you to action. That's kind of how we can re- rewrite that, that first part of verse 1. And now that might seem like a small thing to you. It might seem maybe like I'm splitting hairs, but it isn't. You see, in the Christian life, it's very easy for us to get in a mode where we're living and doing things out of a sense of duty or fear. Right? We, we go to church because we feel like we have to. Oh, that's, that's, that's a duty. We have to do that, though we should do that. Or we read our Bibles with this sense of, okay, I better read my Bible so God's not angry with me. Right? Or that I'm a good Christian or even other church events, right? We, we go to other church events because we don't want people to think poorly of us. And when we live this way, we're not living in light of or responding to Christ and his great work for us. Instead, we are living a lifeless and lesser version of Christianity that's trying to do just enough to get by. But that's not the kind of life that God's called us to live. Rather, the life that God has and is calling us to live is summed up in the action or response that Paul wants for us when he tells us in the second half of Romans 12:1, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The life we're called to live where we rightly respond to the mercies of God that have been given to us in and through Christ is a life, and this is important, is a life where every part of our being is wholeheartedly surrendered to God and given over to Him for His purposes. This is what Paul means when he says, present our bodies as living sacrifices. And this isn't just something that Paul calls us to, but if we look throughout the whole canon of Scripture, we'll see that this same point is just throughout the whole Bible. In fact, you can look at these verses. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in, in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Or in 1 Samuel twelve twenty, And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet... Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And then the next slide. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. And then lastly, in Mark twelve thirty, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your Strength. All of that put together, summed up together, is summed up in this way, that everything in our life should be holy, devoted, and surrendered to God in His purposes. That means our homes, that means our marriages, that means our children and our jobs, our money, our time, our energy and talents. They should be oriented around honoring and serving and making much of our great God because of the amazing and undeserved work of mercy that he has done for us through Christ. And what's so convicting about this is Paul doesn't say that this is some calling for a super elite group of Christians, right? There's no like Christian rangers or like Christian Navy SEALs that then are called to completely give their lives over to him. No, he says to the entire Roman church and to us, that this is your spiritual, or a better way to, to rewrite that is this is your reasonable worship, which means that nothing short of a wholehearted surrender to Christ makes sense in light of what he's done for us. It's the only way that we can and should respond as Christians. And now I realize that seems big, and it is. The idea, whenever we use those words like wholehearted surrender or giving our all, that that feels very big but God hasn't left us without some instruction for how to live that out and i want to begin to unpack that for you a little bit in verse 2 and ultimately this is what we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of romans because everything from romans 12, one on to 15:13 is just is basically how we are called to live out everything that paul has said in the first 11 chapters and how we are to rightly respond to him but this morning i want to just give you a glimpse Of what that might look like. And that's our second point for this morning. Is that a wholehearted surrender to Christ requires us to reject the patterns of this world. Now for those of us who are parents or maybe for those of you who have been around uh, kids for for a long period of time. You understand that kids begin to imitate us at a very young age. Right, you, have, you have little kids or, or babies, and as they begin to grow, there's sort of this simple imitation that happens. It might be a gesture, it might be a smile, but they begin to imitate us a little bit. Or maybe as they, they grow into the toddler phase and beyond, you get to see a little bit more of a complex imitation. Like one example that my wife brought to me this morning was um, our son Joshua. When he was a young kid, and, and this was at our previous church, he would be in worship practice with us. And when he would be in worship practice, he would see me conducting on stage. And then he would be sitting down in the audience and he'd start conducting himself, you know? But it's complex imitation. And finally, as our children grow uh, to a place, finally, they grow to a place where they're able to fully imitate the things we say and we do. So not only now is it just our, our actions, but they're also able to imitate our words as they grow. And most of us get this, right? And some of you, especially if you're in little kid life, you understand it. You're, you're experiencing it right now. But the problem, and I wish it wasn't a problem, is that imitation often doesn't stop at mere action, right? As our kids grow, we also notice, for better or for worse, that they begin to imitate our thoughts, our feelings, and our attitudes. And according to an article on the successfulparent.com, this is what is known as the mirror problem, And here's what it says. One of the great challenges of parenting is that kids soak up who and what you are and mirror it back to you in their attitudes and behaviors. A parent can hardly have a feeling or an emotional reaction to something that a child doesn't observe or feel and react to themselves. Kids are mirrors and imitators. They reflect back to you how you behave and what you feel by imitating it. And now maybe for a few of you, you might hear that and you might feel really good about yourself, right? You might think, I think I've lived a pretty good life. And I look at my kids and I think they're living a pretty good life. So I've done a pretty good job, right? And for the two of you that feel that way, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations to you. Um, However, for the rest of us, I think this can bring about mixed feelings. Yes, we know that we've hopefully lived in a way that like our kids have picked up some good things from us, but if we're honest, we also notice that, that there are some negative things that maybe that we've embodied and maybe that we've lived that we might also see within our kids. For me, this can sometimes manifest itself in a negative attitude. I have to admit that I've been prone to negativity throughout my life. Definitely throughout my marriage and definitely in my parenting. And there are times, if I'm honest, if I'm looking at my kids, I'm like, that negative response, you probably got that from me. And it's this kind of heart imitation that Paul is calling us away from in Romans 12, 1, when he says in the first part, do not be conformed to this world. See, Paul understands that we live in a fallen world that embodies heart attitudes and thoughts and language and actions that are opposed to the things of God. In fact, these things are, are, are all around us in such a way that it almost feels like if you think about a, a cup of hot water and then a bag of tea, it almost feels like we're submerged in these thoughts and attitudes the same way that a bag of tea is submerged in hot water. And not only that, but we also live in earthly bodies, and Paul himself even says that these, these are unable to please God. As he says in the first part of Romans five, and in verse eight, he says, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who are in, and then verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he understands that we're prone to imitate and live like the world. We're prone to seek after wealth and health and security. We often are selfish and proud and jealous and arrogant. And we too easily seek after the ease and pleasures of this life as as if somehow they can satisfy us. And yet there's good news. And the good news is that we have been set free from these things. As Paul then goes on to write in Romans 8, 9, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So we're no longer controlled by this world of the flesh and we have instead been crucified with Christ and are now controlled by his spirit who dwells within us. And because we're set free from the things of this world and the things of the flesh, Paul wants us to understand that fully surrendering to Christ means that that we need to not Conform, and that word conform here actually means fashion or mold, right? That we need to not be fashioned or molded around the the hearts and the practices and the attitudes and views of the world and culture around us. And instead, we need to work to put them off, to reject them, or to leave them behind. We need to stop seeking after wealth and health as if it can save us. We need to lay aside our selfish desires, realizing that we've been fully redeemed and made alive by a selfless and sacrificial God. And we need to reject the lie that the pleasures of this world can satisfy us. Because they can't. But I know that even as I say that, there are questions in that. And the questions, of course, are, how do you do that? Right? It's real easy, and I I didn't include this in the sermon, but I'm going to tell it to you now. I was thinking about this in parenting. It's real easy as a parent to say, stop doing that, right? I don't know how many times I'll say to my kids, stop it. But then I'll never be like, well, but here's what you're supposed to do instead, right? I don't know. You guys have probably never been guilty of that. (laughs) But how do we do that? How do we turn away from these long-standing patterns of sin and worldly thinking? And yes, Paul has said that we're set free, but, but we still are living in the flesh. We're still living in this world. And those old ways of living and thinking are always around us. And so what are we supposed to do? And that's our third point this morning. That a wholehearted surrender to Christ requires the transformation of our mind and heart. The second part of Romans twelve two says this, but be transformed by the renewal or renovation of your mind, and that's your thoughts, your feelings, and your will. And now that word transformed, it's, it's actually very close uh, in definition to the word "metamorphos," which, of course, we obviously get the word metamorphosis. Um, but "metamorphos" means a change in form and nature. And now when we think about that, we might assume that Paul is talking about the transformation that happens when we first come to Christ, right? But the problem with that is he has already identified these believers as brothers, which means that he already believes that they're believers in Christ. Also, he is calling them and us to an action, to do something. And we know that that this new life, according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we didn't do anything to Receive it, right? It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Instead, the kind of transformation, the kind of change of form and nature that Paul has in view here is something that's continuous. It's moment by moment, and it's day by day. And we actually know that it's an ongoing transformation because it's something that he calls us to participate in when he says this, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And if we were to get at the heart of what that means, it means this. It means that we are to daily renovate and change our thoughts and our feelings and our desires in such a way that we no longer desire the things of the world, but instead we desire to be fully surrendered to God, But again, how do we do that? How do we daily renew and change our thoughts and our feelings and our desires and our wills? How does that, how does that happen, right? Is it, is it just thinking new thoughts? If I just think new thoughts, then I'm going to get there? Is it um, just trying to do different things like, you know, I'm going to get there by driving a different way to work today? What is it? What does it mean to renew our minds and our hearts? And I believe that the answer to this question, or the the verse that so, that very closely relates to what Paul is trying to get at, is found in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he writes this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The answer to how we daily renew our hearts and our minds so that we are transformed into the image of Christ is to continually look to and immerse ourselves in who God is. Let me say that again. That the answer to how we daily renew our heart and our minds so that we're transformed into the image of Christ is to continually look to and immerse ourselves in who God is. And now I want to say that that doesn't merely mean that you just read your Bible, right? Because I know that that's the first thing that comes to our mind is, oh, got to read our Bible more, which we probably should do, right? We probably could always use a little bit more of that. And it also doesn't just mean that we need to think more thoughts about God, that if I just think about God more, then, oh man, this great transformation is going to happen. But here's what it does mean. It means that we need to be people that do continually fill our minds, our hearts, and our souls with the very truths of who God is. We need to submerge ourselves in his word as we meditate on the wonder and the magnificence of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And we need to ask God, because we can't do this on our own, we need to ask God to take those truths, the truths of who he is, and to press them deep down into every area of our lives so that they actually change who we are at the deepest level of our desires and our wants. And finally, we need to be people who slow down. We need to be people that slow down enough And remove distractions from our lives in a way where we are actually in a place that God is able to do that renewing work in us. And now I realize this isn't easy. So, how many of you feel busy? Eric, you feel busy? Yeah, might be. Yeah. A lot of us feel busy. A lot of us on a day-to-day basis feel like we have a lot going on, jumping from thing to thing to thing. And the other reality for us as Americans is that we're a very distracted people, right? We're distracted not only by the busyness of our lives, but we're also distracted by these lovely little things that sit in our pockets called phones, And I believe that it's super hard for us to actually put ourselves in a place where we're able to hear from God and to be changed by Him. In fact, I'm preparing this message this morning, and my wife can tell you this is, for whatever reason, one of the hardest messages I've ever prepared. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what was going on over the last week, but it was super hard. Um, But one of the things that I did see is this as I saw in myself my own shortcomings. I felt in such a deep way how much I fall short of filling my mind, and my heart, and my soul with the magnificence of who christ is. I see so easily my distraction and how much I love distraction. I see so easily how I think I'm busy all the time and I try to keep myself just busy with stuff. And if you're feeling the same way this morning, I definitely don't want you to leave here feeling beat down, like this is something like, oh, man, I just gotta throw that away because I can't get there. But I wanna do is I wanna encourage you with something. And I wanna would encourage you with the fact that God, God hasn't left us to do this work on our own. In fact, he knows we can't. And he doesn't expect us to. That's why when Paul tells us in Romans 12:1 to wholeheartedly surrender ourselves to him as living sacrifices, he includes these words, holy and acceptable to God. Now these might seem like inconsequential words, but they're not. So think about this. Can we make ourselves holy and acceptable to God through our own actions? We absolutely can't. We are only made holy and acceptable in God's sight through the shed blood of Christ and by his spirit that now lives within us. Which means that it's only through his spirit living within us that we are going to be able to behold and immerse ourselves in the truths of who God is in such a way that they actually begin to renew and renovate our hearts and our minds day by day so that our desires become to fully and wholeheartedly give ourselves over to God and his purposes for our lives. In fact, Paul also highlights the same idea of this God-given, and I'll say spirit-driven work when he says at the end of 2 Corinthians 3.18, for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And the good news is that when this spirit-driven change happens in us, Paul tells us that the fruit that's going to be produced in our lives is a life that is surrendered to the good and perfect will of God. As it says in the last part of Romans 2, it says that by testing, and that word testing means to put into practice. So I'll say that by putting into practice, or basically you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. And perfect. And so I want to end this message this morning um, by recognizing that I, I haven't given you a lot that probably feels super practical to you. You aren't walking away with a three-step program for becoming like Jesus. But hopefully what I've done as I've laid the groundwork for everything that Paul is going to say in the coming verses and chapters, and hopefully I've also given you a Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered vision and trajectory for your life. Because every good thing that God wants for us, not only in Romans, but really in the entire Christian life, will come back to these simple yet profound truths and practices. That we have been bought and redeemed by the mercies of God through the shed blood of Christ. And we've been set free from sin and darkness and death. And we've been given the hope of new life. And therefore, therefore, in light of this great reality, our only response must be, it must be to wholeheartedly surrender our lives to Christ as we reject the patterns of the world and instead immerse ourselves in the magnificent and wondrous truth of who God is by His Spirit so that we will be daily transformed more into the image of Christ and we can walk in His good and perfect ways until He returns. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, It is so good to know that that your spirit lives within us. It's so good to be reminded of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, you have done those things in such an amazing way that that you then have called us to respond. And the response of our life, Lord, that, that you want is nothing short of a wholehearted surrender to your will you know that is best. You know that what, that is what most honors you. And yet you also know that that's what most brings us joy and peace and satisfaction in this life. And so Lord, may we leave today not, not just feeling the weight of this, but also being a people who expectantly believe that you will do this work in us that you will transform us, that you will renew us, that you will bring us to a place where we are immersed in soaking in the reality of who you are so that we will be changed more and more day by day, moment by moment into the image of your son Jesus Christ and yet that we will be able to walk in your ways pleasing you and experience your, experiencing your abundant grace and joy until that glorious day that you return. And we just pray all of this in the precious and amazing name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we continue in worship.